Welcome into this episode of the Hopeless Sports Magnet Podcast. I'm your host, Taylor, and today we're going to break down the college football playoff semifinal games and talk about how we ended up in a Georgia versus Alabama rematch. So first, we're going to break down the one versus four matchup, which was Alabama versus Cincinnati in the Cotton Bowl in Dallas. So the the biggest thing that I, I noticed in this game in just terms of the overall style in which the game was played, there were very few explosive plays. I kind of expected a pretty one-sided beatdown with a lot of plays down the field despite the quarter, the pedigree of the two cornerbacks from Cincinnati, but I was definitely wrong on that end. There were very few explosive plays by either team. Cincinnati actually did a pretty good job, I think, of getting some pressure on Bryce Young at quarterback. They did a lot of pretty good stunts that worked out, created confusion. A lot of offensive linemen, especially the guards, were left at times where they just weren't blocking anybody. Guys came in untouched a few times. Now, Bryce Young only threw one interception, which tells me that we he, he was able to, to manage the pressure pretty well in this game. Although, I think we did see that Sauce Gardner for sure is the real deal. He was able to go up against Jamison Williams in this game, and when he was matched up with him one-on-one, he there really wasn't much of a stat line for Williams in this game. Although with Williams himself, when he wasn't matched up on Gardner, he did a pretty good job of kind of taking on two roles with the fact that John Mechie was injured heading into this game. He was a guy that really needed to step up, and he did. I think he improved his future draft stock by showing that he can also be a possession guy if you need him to. And a lot of this came out of the a lot of bunch sets because I think this was really a key for the game plan for Alabama. The the corners of Cincinnati are very good in man-to-man, and they could really be able to shut down the passing attack of Alabama if you're able to just let them sit in a constant man on your top two guys and really take them out of the play. So they put them in a lot of bunch sets, forced Cincinnati into some zone coverage, which Bryce Young is also very good against zone coverage, so it's kind of a two-for-one there for them in or- if they want to be successful in the passing game. And they were at times when they needed to. They, now, they weren't the typical Alabama sling it all over the field. Ja'Cory Brooks did hit one play, but as I s- said, wasn't a ton of explosiveness from either team. I don't think that Cincinnati on the other side of the ball had a play over 20 yards up until late in the fourth quarter. But the the biggest reason why Alabama was still able to win this pretty convincingly was Definitely Brian Robinson and the running game. Alabama tied their season high in yards per carry with 6.4, and Brian Robinson had over 200 yards in this game running between the tackles. He did very well in some outside zones. We saw the little bit of an improvisational act by Bryce Young was able to get him a big chunk play a couple of times, very similar to the SEC championship game against Georgia. He was able to physically just assert his will on the Cincinnati defense, and that's something that we kind of did expect coming into this game. We saw those zone-beating bunch sets, but then we also just saw some old-fashioned power running game against the 3-3-5 stack that Cincinnati likes to run. 
and that was really the the biggest difference. There wasn't as much of a discrepancy in the at the skill positions outside of quarterback, but just the sheer one side in this in the trenches, whether it was Alabama on the defensive side of the ball or on the offensive side of the ball, really allowed them to control the game from start to finish. We really saw some inept offense from Cincinnati in this game. I really would have liked to see them work with some more pace and some urgency. I think that with how complicated the stock scheme is for Alabama, I think tempo is something you have to constantly throw at them or at least mix it in, and we didn't really see that with Cincinnati. And then you end up with a lot of just talent on talent, and there's very few, if not any, schools that can beat Alabama in that regard, in that kind of game. And it just was something that you kind of expected a little bit better of a game plan from Cincinnati in that regard, because I think it's pretty... The the outcome is kind of expected, given what a lot of the pre-snap looks were on most of these plays. There wasn't really anything that you're kind of caught off guard by a misdirection or a... a um, matchup or something that was kind of maybe a game specific play that we saw kind of you saw Cincinnati line up in the 335 stack you saw uh Alabama really put a lot of guys on one side of the field and then run the opposite direction and it was pretty much right there in front of the viewer to watch Brian Robinson continue to just 6 yards a pop all the way down the field we saw on the first drive, it was four straight runs, which really tells you that that was game plan number one for Alabama was to establish the running game. And I think you also just want to take some pressure off of Bryce Young. He's carried you the way he has all season as a Heisman winner, and you you can't really expect him to have his best game every single week. And I think they did a really good job of tiny, timing an off game with the running game being able to provide some extra support for them being able to win this game. Now, as far as Cincinnati, I expected a lot more from Desmond Ritter. A guy with his kind of frame should not be having passes getting batted down like a volleyball team. And I, I just wanted to see more explosive plays in general, mostly explosive runs from Jerome Ford. He's kind of been the workhorse in their backfield most of this season. Now, a lot of their somewhat successful plays were him in the running game, but they're just, like I said, there wasn't any kind of explosiveness until it was too little, too late for Cincinnati. I think they needed to get a lead early in this game if they wanted to have a chance to win. And even when there were times where their defense made some key stops, got an interception in order to keep them in the game, they just weren't able to capitalize offensively. And it really allowed guys like Dallas Turner, Will Anderson, Christian Harris to just feast on the pass rush. And I think that was the biggest uh, one of the better showcases from this linebacking core of Alabama. Now we've seen them struggle in pass coverage a little bit earlier in the season, but I think when they were able to just use that athletic ability blitz a lot, especially Christian Harris, I think we saw him blitz a lot more than previous games. Uh, 
on Friday, and he was able to just constantly be around the ball and in the backfield, and it made it a night that Desmond Ritter is definitely going to want to forget on that side of the equation. I think that we will see Sauce Gardner be drafted extremely high. Now I'll go more in-depth on that when I start doing some scouting reports, and I think I'm going to start doing some rankings of the different prospects once I can get a look at the film after the season is fully over. But I think that despite the result on the field, despite how much Alabama was in control of this game and how much we saw some typical Bama dominance, I do want to give props to Sauce Gardner, especially in this game. With that, we're going to have a quick break, and then I'll come back and talk about the Orange Bowl between Georgia and Michigan. Now, we break down the game that I am definitely going to have to admit much more excited to break down this game as a Georgia fan. I was very nervous heading into this game, kind of saw the physicality that Michigan was able to play with in the trenches, and this was a game that worried me. However, I was not worried much after the opening kickoff because Georgia was able to come in and dominate this game from start to finish, got out to a 27-3 lead, scored on the first three possessions of the game offensively, and just took over completely. And there was a massive talent gap between the two schools on the field. If we're being honest, I almost, if you want to go back and look, I would move Cincinnati up to three instead of four and probably slid Michigan down to four. I think this kind of shows that it's, if anything, a down year for those top teams in the Big Ten. But I think we'll have to get an overall look at the bowl season in order to fully grasp that after looking at opt-outs and things like that. But back to the Orange Bowl, there were multiple stats that kind of jump out at you in this game. The only two games where Georgia had more yards of total offense were against UAB and Vanderbilt. So kind of two early season cupcake games, that's the only time they're able to put up more than the total number of yards they did against the number two team in the country heading into this game. And then Michigan, in terms of their total yards, the only game where they had fewer was against Rutgers, where they got out to a very slow start and had to kind of crawl their way back over the course of that game and really squeak out a struggle win early in the season. And then there's the old saying that turnovers lose you football games. And Michigan had three. Georgia had zero. Cade McNamara was responsible for all three. Two of them were interceptions, both by Darion Kendrick. And then a third was a strip. Was, or, I'm sorry, he was not responsible for all three. One of them was Corum on a fumble created by N'Kobe Dean. I want to scratch that. But this, like I said, this this just looked, there was a massive talent gap. I think there was 
this really played into the narrative of SEC speed versus Big Ten speed, whether it was the linebackers meeting the running backs, the, the running backs for Georgia on the other side of the ball, and just the quickness at the receiver and DB positions as well. This was a Michigan team that is known for being able to run the ball down everyone's throat that they faced this season. However, they were unable to really do anything on offense in this game. Cade McNamara didn't have much time to throw, and Michigan couldn't run the ball hardly at all. This was actually the only game this season that Michigan had where they were held to under 100 yards rushing, and they were capped at 88 yards rushing in this game, which I think is definitely the most telltale sign in this game. The final score ended up being 34-11, to but Michigan's only touchdown was with four and a half minutes left when there were mostly backups on the field for both teams, for sure, Georgia defensively, and... In terms of scoring, and a big reason why Georgia was able to get to the 34-point mark was, as a Georgia fan, this is definitely has to be, the first half in this game was probably the best first half, or the best half in general that Stetson Bennett has played all season, if not his entire Georgia career. Now, we saw a little bit of a return to reality in the second half. He missed some throws, and made a couple of shaky decisions with throwing the ball kind of back into coverage. Luckily, none of them ended up being capitalized on. But in the first half, he, he's had games where he's been equally efficient as he has in this game. I think that's why there's some where his pass, his quarterback rating is a little bit higher. But I think in this game, he was asked to do a lot more. He was throwing more. I think he had 17 pass attempts in the first half which he's had games where he had half that overall. And he was accurate. He was poised. He was able to hit multiple deep throws right on the money, whether the the best throw was on a stutter and go to James Cook, a play that many Georgia fans have seen, whether before, whether it was last year against Alabama, earlier this year against Tennessee, when defenses come out in man-to-man, you motion the, the James Cook at running back out wide. If the linebacker follows him, then we know it's man-to-man. He hits him with a little shimmy and go. And then nine times out of ten, it ends up in a an explosive in an explosive play like we saw in the Orange Bowl. And then I think the, the icing on the cake was kind of the, the trust in your receiver to make a play when... Stetson was able to move over to his right, kind of sling the ball off his back foot a little bit to Jermaine Burton right before half. And that was kind of the the big, the, the stepping on the, the neck, if you will, of Michigan, really forcing them to play from behind, make a running team have to throw the ball in the entire second half, which they were unable to do, even with putting J.J. McCarthy in at quarterback and... I was extremely pleased, even as one of the harshest Stetson critics, I was extremely happy with the decision to play Stetson in this game. I don't think JT really could have played as well as Stetson did in this game, and I think there were some plays where the scrambling ability of Stetson 
made a difference. Now, there were with that, I do want to still hit on the fact that Jamari Salyer and Warren McClendon, the left and right tackle for Georgia's offensive line, respectively, played a heck of a game. Aiden Hutchinson ended up with four tackles and nothing else to show for it. Both him and David Ajabo were completely neutralized. There's a video going around of a pretty ridiculous pancake block and pass protection from Jamari Salyer on Aiden Hutchinson. And he's a guy that was able to kind of physically overwhelm a lot of these left tackles and right tackles in earlier games, always being able to drive the player back into the quarterback, really disrupt the pocket. But this was the first game really for him this season where he looked like the undersized edge rusher that he is. And he just kind of got physically overpowered at times in this game. Now there still was a great amount of communication and help from the guard position on both of these guys at times. And we saw a lot of the the chip blocks, even using the tight ends a little bit. Although I think that we didn't see as much of that as I anticipated. They didn't have to really commit as much help into the pass protection, which opened it up for probably the craziest stat line of all in this game that I was able to look through and find. Georgia had over 500 yards of total offense. I believe the number is something like 516, 518, and... They did not have a single 100-yard rusher, nor a single 100-yard receiver. Now, James Cook, we're teetering a little bit on the edge there with his three catches for 99 yards, but two of them were explosive plays, so I am going to kind of play this one up a little bit. And we we saw we just the, the sheer... Um, just craziness with how Todd Monken was able to spread the wealth around in both facets of the offensive game. Brock Bowers made plays. Lad McConkey made plays. We saw Jermaine Burton get a big touchdown catch. We saw James Cook being used out of the backfield for some explosive plays. We saw Zamir White being used in the running game effectively. We saw Kenny McIntosh throw a touchdown pass, for crying out loud. And it's just you, you go down the list of guys that have had any kind of meaningful playing time that are still healthy in this game, and they had some play that they made in this game. And I think that's really where you have to give credit to Todd Monken, the offensive coordinator. He definitely used the extra prep time for this game to his advantage, and Georgia was able to put up the kind of offensive numbers that we talked about as a fan base for them wishing they could put up these kind of numbers in a big game. And that's exactly why I think a lot of Georgia people, including myself, are back onto kind of the optimistic wagon when it comes to this rematch with Alabama in the national championship game. I think we can, if we can see a much more poised Stetson Bennett, I think if we cut down on the turnovers and then play like we did defensively against Michigan, really limiting the busted coverages and really sticking to what this defense knows in terms of blitz packages. And I think 
just playing like ourselves. I think Christopher Smith being 100%. Now, he had that targeting issue. I do want to cover the fact that because his targeting penalty was in the first half, he will not have to sit out any amount of the national championship game, which it's a ridiculous rule in of itself, but luckily he's able to kind of survive the craziness of that rule. So I look for him now fully healthy, fully 100% back from his shoulder injury to be able to play much better this time around. I think having seen this Alabama receiving core and now minus John Mechie with his injury in the SEC championship game, I think it's going to be a much closer game and a much better game for Georgia the second time around. Now, the guy that I really want to give the, the most props to, kind of my player of the game, if you will, outside of Stetson Bennett, has to be Nicobe Dean. Nicobe was able to get his teammates in the right position pre-snap, and he made two or three plays, which I think I always talk about, set the tone plays. He was that guy making those plays. And I think the the one that really stuck out to me early was when they sent a they sent a quorum on a, a real sweeping kind of swing pass motion pre-snap and it was man-to-man coverage. So he started so Nakobe started on one hash and had to follow Blake all the way across the field and he took one of the most perfect angles I have ever seen in my life and it ended in a two yard loss where he was just able to meet Quorum right at, at the numbers on the opposite side of the field and make an NFL linebacker type play. And I think that was kind of when Michigan realized, okay, th- this is this is what an elite defense really looks like. This is what SEC speed at the linebacker position is all about. And then on top of that was the fumble that he later caused, which Michigan had already been down in a hole at 27 to 3 but I think that was really the, the the dagger in the third quarter when they when the Georgia defense was able to create another turnover and allow the the Georgia offense to just go to work and do some damage trying to do a little bit of stat stuffing if you will but this is definitely going to be the kind of national championship game where it's going to be two juggernauts going at it. This was, if anything, the expected national championship game, which I still think doesn't take away from it. I think that, if anything, adds to the hype of it. I think that's that's kind of the give and take of the situation. But I'll give you guys more of a full breakdown of the national championship game later this week. But that's going to conclude this episode of the Hopeless Sports Mantic Podcast. Make sure to like and follow the podcast on whichever platform you listen to it on. And make sure to like and follow my tweets at TaylorBell222. Thanks again for listening. This is the Hopeless Sports Mantic Podcast.